Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Hosea. Hosea, we were in Hosea chapter 2 this morning. We're going to look in Hosea chapter 4 here this evening. Before we get into Hosea 4, I want to tell you a story. Some of you know, some of you are aware of this, but about five years ago, they didn't celebrate, but they recognized the 100-year anniversary of a very, very great pandemic. Now, we hear that word a lot nowadays, and we think of COVID, but 100 years ago, don't think five years ago, think 105 years ago. Most of you in this room won't be able to remember that far back. I won't name the ones that can, but... Some of you are probably thinking, what is the more famous pandemic from that time frame? The 1917, 18, the great Spanish flu. And that was an influenza epidemic that claimed millions of lives. Well, there was another epidemic that struck the world that was a little more alarming. Now, it didn't get the recognition because the Spanish flu was, was so at the time, just on everybody's mind. But there was another, another pandemic that would start off. And here's the scary thing. Now, if you are, if you're a person who, who thinks that you're sick all the time and you are you know, worried about the worst when you, uh, when you have something go wrong, you may want to dismiss yourself early. But this pandemic, it started out with a sore throat. A person would notice a sore throat. And then shortly after the sore throat, They would get a slight fever, a little bit of a headache, but then within hours, they would start to get double vision, severe weakness, and then tremors, and then strange bodily movements, and then the most, what now we think of the most scary thing of all, was that they would be reduced to a comatose state. Very, very quickly, it seemed like young people were the most oftenly um, uh, affected with this, and this uh, the, the, the symptoms would, would increase to the point where the person's body would become rigid uh, from the different movements and the different things like that. And they would be in a sleep state and many of them would pass away. In fact, there was a movie that was made about this. I believe it was called Waking Up or Awakening or something like that. Because there was a doctor who some of these patients that fell asleep in the 20s were still asleep in the 60s. And there was a doctor who thought, well, maybe we could try this particular, and I don't remember exactly the name of the medicine. Uh, Some of you no doubt are Googling. My phone is going to start buzzing in a second here. But they started using this medicine, and these people woke up having been asleep for more than a quarter of a century. Imagine getting a sore throat and within a couple of hours falling asleep and then waking up later and 25 to 30 years have passed. It was was hailed as a a medical miracle, uh, this thing that was happening, but... Whatever was happening in the body very quickly became used to this medicine, and those that woke up only woke up for a short amount of time before they went back to sleep. And some of those individuals lived until I was in high school, in the late 80s, when they passed away. And that epidemic, pandemic, rarely is known by many folks. 
They think that sometimes some of those same symptoms have showed up in other people and they've given it, I think it's encephalitis lethargica, if I remember correctly from reading uh, what they call it. But what was even scarier was the few folks that were not killed by it would recall how they felt during that time. They, they were able to understand what was going on around them. And they said, and one girl in particular said, the most interesting thing about it was that I knew that I was asleep, but it was such a glorious sleep and I was so restful. I was angry that people were pinching me and throwing water in my face and putting ice cubes on my head. And I wanted to scream at them and say, just let me rest. But I could not move. I could not interact. I was trapped. Say, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Well, because my throat is sore. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm going to be sleeping for a week. Don't bother me. No, that's not it. Imagine being alive, but not being alive. You see, we looked at one side of the story in Hosea where God came and said, I am going to draw you in. I am going to speak to your heart. I am going to allure you. I am going to bring you to me. Because you have allowed your heart to be turned away. And the picture that Hosea uses is a vile picture, a picture that today nobody would want to be categorized in that arena. Nobody would want to say, yes, my life is like that. We might say to ourselves, well, I have a hard time obeying God sometimes, and sometimes I do sin, and sometimes I make mistakes, but nobody in here would use the same words that Hosea used in describing what it is when we turn away from God. And Hosea says this, he said, listen, they have turned away so much after their sin that they have basically become dead. It says it in another minor prophet as well. They eat, but they're not satisfied. They drink, but they're not satisfied. They earn money to put it into a bag filled with holes. You say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Well, because we're getting ready to come into a revival service. We call it a revival service. It is a spiritual emphasis service. I don't know if it's going to be revival. But can I tell you that most of the time in my life, I have not felt like I needed revival And yet I believe that the American church is in a stupor, is in a state of being asleep. Yes, they can interact with the folks that are around them. Yes, they do know what is happening. Yes, there is an ability to realize that something is going on, but they are so blissfully asleep, they just want to be left alone. Let me go to my church. Let me enjoy my worship. Let me enjoy my friends. Keep this world away from my kids. Keep this world away from my marriage. Let me just earn some money, retire, do well, and then go to heaven. Hosea challenges the children of Israel because they have allowed themselves to become literally destroyed or decayed. This idea of being destroyed or decayed is different times throughout this passage will be listed out and it will be said to them that, hey, this is something that has happened to you. But in chapter 7, verse 9, it says, strangers have devoured the strength and he knoweth it not. Meaning the strength of the children of Israel to make an application, the strength of the church has been sapped, it has been taken away, and they are unaware of it. We have been losing generations of Christians, and we haven't made changes. We have been seeing people walk away from the faith 
for a long time and we wonder, well, maybe if we change our music, well, maybe if we change our preaching, well, maybe if we change what, what you have to do when you come to church, if we make it more accessible, if we give them five or six different choices on Sunday so that they can have it their way, then maybe we can still keep people coming in and continuously the church's strength has been sapped and taken away. And then the rest of that verse, and you see it, gray hairs are here and there upon them, and he knows it not. I'm at that age where my body still does not, my mind does not realize what my body is unable of doing, and it will say, do this, and I will try, and then afterwards I will say, what were you thinking? We just went to a pastor's refresh. And I went out there and a couple of our pastors here, Pastor Colton and Pastor Josh, decided they wanted to play basketball. And they said, come on, Brother Dave, and play basketball. I said, no, I don't need to play basketball. I'll sit on the side and I'll watch. But I I fell to peer pressure. And I went out there and I'll say I played basketball. I don't think that Brother Josh or Brother Colton would say that. And I played, Pastor Josh, how long? Ten About 15 minutes. It has been more than 48 hours. I'm still mad that they talked me into doing that. I'm still hurting in places that had been asleep for years and did not have a problem. And now they've woken up to say, what is your problem? Go forth. What are you doing? And the gray hairs have come. Didn't know it. How does that happen? If I'm looking out over this audience here this evening, I don't think there's one person, I truly, I truly don't believe there's one person that's here tonight that says, I don't want to serve God. But how does it get to the point where we get into a spiritual coma? We're able to interact, we're able to get through life, we're still alive, we're not dead, we're no longer having the impact. How does that happen? Take your Bibles, open them up to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea 4, I want to show you just really quickly this evening. And challenge you. My desire tonight is not to pull on your heartstrings. It's not to try to get you emotional. It's not to try to get you involved in a, in, in a revival service because of them. It's to get you to step back and look at your life and see, is this me? Look at Hosea 4.1 right after we have a word of prayer. Lord, bless this time. Give us clarity as we look into your word. Help us to see truth, understand it, and follow it. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't think about our spouse, don't think about our co-worker, don't think about our children, don't think about the folks across the aisle from us. Lord, may we see us as you see us. Working hearts. Thank you. Amen. Hosea 4.1. Hosea says, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. God has a problem. I have somewhat against thee is how he said it in Revelation He said, there are things that I need to address with you. This is what Hosea is saying. The story of Hosea and Gomer has been told in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And how he went and married a wife. And how that wife turned away from him and went into a life of sin. And how God asked him to go back and buy her out of that life of sin. And bring her back to the house and love her. Because God said, I need the children of Israel to understand my love for them. And then we get to the actual prophecy. The actual telling forth of God's word here in chapter 1. And Hosea says, listen, God has a word for you. You need to see this. And what does he say? There is no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. I want you to take a second and look at this because these are the symptoms 
of this pandemic. These are the signs that there is something in your heart that is missing. No truth, no mercy, no knowledge. Now you look right there on the surface in the English, and it looks like many folks would say, well, we have truth. We get the truth preached to us. We have the truth of God's word. We know what truth is. We're good there. No mercy. I'm kind to people. It's okay. So we're good with, with mercy. And, and no, I've got a, a decent amount of knowledge, but listen, what this is referring to is not just the surface of the ability to have truth and mercy and knowledge. It's talking about a little bit more. This truth is talking about consistent faithfulness. It's not truth that is aware of, it's truth that directs. You see, it's not the Christian life that is up one day and down. It's not the mom that is happy one day with her family and screaming at them the next day. It's not the individual who is, is praising the Lord and worshiping him on Sunday and then looking at pornography on Monday. It's not the person who is stealing from his boss and then coming into church and working in Iwana. It's not up and down and up and down. It is a person who has consistent love in their life is what God is saying, does not have this. But what has come so commonplace in Christianity is when it is time to turn the Christianity on, we turn the Christianity on. And let's go into Awana and let's go and do this and let's go into Bible groups and let's do this and let's go into church and then let's go and do this. And there are men who come in here who are sitting here to all of us as we look at you, you look like a good man, you look like a good husband, but your wife's heart is dying because she is not being loved like Christ loves the church. And there's no up and down. Now, there, there's, there's no consistency. It's only up and down. And Hosea says, here's the problem with the land. There's no consistent faithfulness. There's not a love for God's word that draws you to God's word. It's a love that brings you guilt every once in a while, and you go back to it. It's not a consistent pouring over God's word. It's not a consistent time in prayer. It's a up and down and up and down and up and down. And some of us have been up and down so much that we've given up, trying to be up. And we said, okay, this is my marriage. Okay, this is my family. Okay, this is my spirituality. Okay, this is my walk. And Hosea says, there's no truth. But then there's no mercy. There's no consistent love for God. There's no consistent interaction with the reality of God's love in their life. It is a up and down event. It is a hear a good song, heart gets warmed a little bit. It is uh, hear a good message, heart gets warmed a little bit, but then we go off into regular routine life and God's love does not invade. Somebody has to remind us that God loves us. Somebody has to come after us that God, that we don't sit there and feast on the great and wondrous love of God. Hosea says there's no truth, there's no mercy. Then this last one, there's no knowledge. There's no consistent submission We go to work to work. We don't go to work to glorify God. There's no knowledge of God in our work. And if somebody were to stand and stop you as you were to walk out of the office or as you were to head home and stop you right there, if an angel of the Lord were to cut you off before you got to your car and said, what did you do to glorify your Savior today at your work? There would be no knowledge. I don't know. And maybe we'd be able to give the Sunday school answers. Well, I went, I went to work. I did my job. I, was, you know, I did what I was supposed to. I went to my Christian school. I, I hung out with my friends. I didn't say any bad words when I was at lunch. I, did, I didn't yell at any teachers. I mean, I went through the motions. It's just a day that begins, it exists, and it ends, and there's no constant submission to the will of God. God, what would you have me do here in this situation? Lord, my friend just said this. What should I say back? God, what is it that you want me to do? Lord, I see this situation in front of me. How is it that I'm going to bring glory to you? How am I going to show the love of God in this, in, in this entire situation? 
God, I just came home and my spouse was short with me. How am I going to glorify you? How am I going to give you glory and accomplish your will in this? We just go through it relying on ourselves. If it seems like I'm a little worked up or I'm a little uptight about it, it's because I've seen this in my life so many, many times. How does this happen? That's the symptom. Yes, God's will for us does not equal a simple life, but it does not equal a roller coaster of up and down and up and down and up and down. How do we get to this point? Look down at verse 6. This is how it happens. Hosea says, my people are destroyed. That word destroyed, when we hear that word destroyed, we think of something that perhaps is a a violent destruction or something that comes and happens, but that's not the word. The word is decayed. The word is a slow destruction. It's a destruction that happens when you can no longer maintain and do what you're supposed to. I remember after I moved to Florida, when we lived here, we would go up to Simpsonville, go to Fountain Inn to go to my parents' house. And uh, grandma and grandpa, grandpa had a hot tub and he had a pool and he had chickens. I mean, it was a wonderful playground for the grandkids. Go in the back, they could be chased around the yard by a mean chicken for a while. They could jump in the pool to get away, escape into the hot tub. It was a wonderful place to go. And when we went down to Florida, my dad was still in pretty good health and the house looked pretty good. And we still would visit every once in a while. We didn't get to Simpsonville as often from Tampa. But then my father's back began to decay and it began to fold on itself. And he's now, it's not an S-shaped back, it's more like a Mississippi-shaped back. And, and as it fell down and it twisted, he wasn't able to get out. And I went up there to help them move, to get ready to move. And I remember when I drove onto the driveway and I saw the house, I hadn't seen it for years. And I thought, yeah, dad's not doing well. Because the shrubs had decayed. It wasn't because it didn't happen overnight. But as my father began to age and was not able to keep up with everything, and because of the massive size of the house and the almost two acres of land that was around and all the rest of it, it had decayed. That's what happens in our life. We're destroyed. We're not, we're not destroyed because one day we wake up and we say no to God. We're destroyed because one day we wake up and we decide that God is not important enough to focus on. So we set our devotion to the side. Or we go through our devotion in a really quick manner to get it done, but not to spend time with the Lord. And then a little bit later, we come into church And the choir can sing the most unbelievable song about the love of God. But your heart is decayed to the point where it no longer strikes the same chord. The pastor can stand up and preach or the evangelist can stand up and preach. And we become a critic and we look and we see what it is is good and not good. And if it's good, we shake our head and say, well, that was a good message. But there's no consistent impact of God's word in our life. It's a decaying that happens almost in stealth mode. Hosea said, my people are destroyed. Look at those next few words. For what? For lack of knowledge. Because they have rejected knowledge. Now, there was no football in Bible times, but as I studied this word rejected, the best word that I could come up with to display what rejected means is it's a stiff arm. We're in football season. You know what a stiff arm is. Somebody comes up. If you execute a stiff arm, it is a beautiful thing to watch. 
Because as a tackler comes running up and you put that stiff arm up and they just drop down and it is a funny thing to watch. But God said, you have rejected me. You have stiff-armed God. It's not an act of standing up and angrily saying, God, I'm not going to. It's a, God, you've got to impress me. This happened to me when I would come into church and I would listen to messages and I would say, yes, that's a biblical message. Yes, he has exegeted the the passage very well. Yes, I agree with his doctrine. Very good. Yes, I agree with that. That is something that is very true. Good message. Then I went home and it had no impact on my life. Kind of like in James 1, when he says we become hearers because we stand in front of the mirror of God's word and we look and we behold and we see. But then we go with nothing having been changed. And instead of actively seeking out God, we are destroyed because we've rejected and we've stiff-armed him. Keep looking at that verse. It says, you've rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. And thou shalt be no more priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. Sometimes this happens not because we have forgotten what God's law says, but because we have forgotten to interact with it. And I've seen people defend themselves and say, well, yes, this is what I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. This. This, is, this is right. This is acceptable. This is, this is the point. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And they have absolutely forgotten the law of God. They have just set something to the side. And we don't intend on doing it. It's a, it's a slow decay. It's a slow turning away. And then that's when the most egregious thing happens we're destroyed the slow decay because we reject knowledge because we forget god's word and god's word becomes subservient we don't decide what is right we decide what is acceptable by our culture we don't decide what is right by god's word we decide what we can get away with with our parents we don't decide what is right according to god's word we decide what is right based on what this teacher will let us get away with in the classroom we don't do what's right because it's right to do we do what's right because we can afford the ticket or we can put up with the boss fussing or we can put up with our parents or our spouse or somebody giving us a hard time we now let something else rule we have forgotten god's law and then the most egregious thing happens if you look down at verse 10 the Bible says they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. There's not a person in this room that would want that verse to define their life and yet everybody in this room, that verse has defined our lives at some point in time. Because we've rejected and we have stiff-armed, now we have done exactly what Gomer did. We have walked away from the very God that died for us, that redeemed us. Now, we're not spitting in his face. We're not saying all we're doing, this is all we're doing. Just what seems good to us. That's it. It's what we're okay with. It's the homeostasis that we can find in our marriage, in our relationship with our parents, in our relationship with the work. We're no longer actively seeking God, but the Bible calls it something so horrible. It honestly makes me uncomfortable. So, Pastor, go forth. What's the answer? You know the answer. In fact, I would dare say most of you could finish this message at this point. 
I believe I could send you my notes. You could look at it and go, okay, I'll take it from here, go forth. Because you know what the answer is. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not about to come out with some unbelievably weird doctrinal truth that you've never heard before in your life. But it's something that is so commonplace that I believe it's become uncommon. Turn over to Hosea chapter 14, if you would, as we finish up. We leave God, we chase other things, just like Gomer, we are after our paramours, we're after the people that we think loves us instead of the God who loves us. And we've committed vile sin before his eyes and we've walked away from him. Well, what is it that we're supposed to do? Oh, it's simple, but it's hard. Look at Hosea 14, verse 1. O Israel, return to the Lord, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. You know what the very first step of fixing this is, folks? Admit it. This is where you should be very thankful that you're a Baptist. Because you don't have to admit it to me. Aren't you glad you don't have to meet with the pastor for confession? I'm glad. We'd have to have more pastors, amen? It's admit it. It's taking the time to spend enough time with the Lord and with his word to understand. Because, can I tell you something? Many times in my life, I have gone to God and I have said, Lord, you know, I kind of struggled this past week. Kind of as ups and downs. It wasn't really that good. And I'd like you to help me this week. I don't like to call it what Hosea calls it. That makes me feel bad. See, when I get up and I don't spend time begging God to give me wisdom to know how to be a daddy, to know how to be a husband, to know how to be a pastor, when I get up and I do it in my own strength and then I fall flat on my face and I say, Lord, help me, I want to be a good pastor and I want to be a good husband, I don't even sometimes recognize what I have done. But just like Gomer, I have gone after my paramours and I have sold myself into sin and I am eating and not having enough. I am drinking and never satisfied. I am working and never earning anything. And I say, Lord, help me. I want to do better in my class. I want to do better in my church. I want to do better in my family. I want to do better in my neighborhood. And that's not what I need to do. I need to say, search me, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then admit it. God, I've fallen by my iniquity. Men, can I talk to you for a second? Ladies, don't listen. Men, I don't want our women to, to find this out, but did you know that some of the arguments in our marriage are our fault? And do you know what one of the most difficult things for me to do, maybe you're not like me, but do you know what's hard for me to do? It's hard for me to go, I was wrong. In fact, if I say that to this day, my wife will go, and she will say the date, whatever it is, and then she will say some random date from October in 1997. And then she will walk around the house with two fingers up, the two times that David Goforth was wrong. And she's having fun. She's not actually rubbing my face in it. But I did have such a hard time. It's time we quit saying, you know what? This church would grow if pastor would. This family would be better if wife would. 
This school would be better if students would. It's time to quit pointing the finger out. And it's time to realize we've fallen by our iniquity. Folks, it's not fun. But I have met Christians who have looked at me and said, it's been decades since my sin has caused my own heart to break. I don't know how long it's been for you. But if you've gone months, can I tell you something? If you've gone months without being broken over your sin, look around. You may have slipped into a spiritual coma. Admit it. Israel, return to the Lord's. Take with you words, verse 2, and say unto him, Take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our lips. So admit and then confess. Confession is not, Lord, you caught me. How many of you went to a Christian school or go to a Christian school? Raise your hand. Do you know one of the difficulties of going to a Christian school? It trains us to repent when we get caught. Teachers, I thought I'd hear at least one amen. I have never, ever ceased to be amazed when I am in a study hall or I'm teaching a Bible class and the kids are talking and I finally say, okay, so-and-so, you're going to get in trouble for talking. And the horrified look of shock, then, what? You were talking, but... And they're so surprised. Why would, you, why would you give me a demerit for talking? Everybody's talking. Confess does not mean, Lord, you caught me. Confess does not mean, okay, my wife's mad at me, so maybe I am struggling as a husband. I haven't slept inside the house for a week, so maybe there's something going on. No. It's confession. It's, Lord, this sin sent you to the cross. I love this sin more than you. Admit, confess. Lord, I need you. And then, take with you words, and what's the next one? Turn to the Lord. That's actual repentance. I don't know what it's involved in your life. Some of you, Some of you, you know who you are. You have done a very good job. You've hidden your pornography from your spouse, from your parents, from your classmates. You need to turn. You need to confess. Say, Pastor, go forth. I'm just so afraid that when people find out, if people, why do you think it's more important that human beings don't know about your sin when your God does? See how messed up that thinking is? I know, I've been there. Lord, I can't, I can't tell my wife I messed up here because then she'll think I'm a bad husband. God knows. I'm surprised. My wife already is aware of how bad of a husband I am when I say I'm struggling with something. She rarely has looked at me and gone, really? Most of the time she said, finally. But take with you words and turn. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Now, I'm all for 
mentors. I'm all for accountability partners. I'm all for folks helping you. But godly sorrow works repentance. If you hate sin enough and you love the Lord enough, you will turn. And so I want to encourage you. I've given you that sheet of paper. We looked at it last week. If you started going through it, it's a tough one to get through. But some of us have taken it and it's still sitting in our car. It is a difficult thing when you are in a spiritual coma to break out of the spiritual coma and to do something else. It's easier to watch football. It's easier to watch Fox News. It's easier to watch a movie. It's easier to scroll on Instagram. It's hard to sit down with God and say, search me, O Lord. And Grace, can I tell you something? There's a lot of good things happening here. I don't want you to think that your pastor is standing up here because he is sick and tired of what's going on. I see a lot of wonderful things happening. But I want to see revival. I want to see people so in love with God that that is what we're known for. And I want to encourage you. Do you have some of those symptoms of that spiritual encephalitis lethargica? Have you stiff-armed God? Have you been destroyed because of lack of knowledge? Is your life up and down? Is it based on your feelings? Are you one day wonderful at work and another day on edge? Is it all based on what's happening around you? Or do you have this consistency of growth? Men, are we leading our families? Are we leading our wives? Are we investing in our children? Are we discipling the folks that are closest to us? Well, if not, then take with you words. And turn to the Lord. Admit, confess, and turn. And let the God that speaks into your heart, that died on the cross for you, let him do what he wants with your life. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. not going to have a come forward invitation not going to ask the piano to play simply want to give you maybe a minute alone with your thoughts and can I ask you tell the Lord what you're going to do with tonight's message don't tell him Lord thank you for that Lord thank you that he got finished before 8 o'clock Lord, thank you that uh, we got to look at Hosea, but Lord, this is what I'm going to do with what we've looked at tonight. This is my plan to be a doer. In the quietness of the hour, no piano, no singing, just you and your thoughts. You may look up here. That was one minute of quietness with the Lord. I don't know how far through that one minute you got. I don't know if I just interrupted you or if you finished a while ago. But let me encourage you. I know that life is going to hit quickly once we leave these doors. Got to get ready for school. Got to make the lunches. Got to get all of this. Got different things that are happening. Some of us have loved ones that are ill. There are many different things. But put into practice what it is that God just laid on your heart. And if God did not lay anything on your heart, if you sat there and just waited for the reverend to talk again, then let me encourage you not to pillow your head until you tell the Lord. There is no coming out of this lethargica 
You need to tell the Lord exactly what it is that you're going to do with the truths that you've heard. Be a doer, not a hearer. Let me ask Brother Ramsey if you come up and dismiss us in a word of prayer. And let me encourage you. Uh, we've got a lot, of, a lot of things happening. Be in prayer for that, uh, the purchase of that property for Selah International Ministries. Uh, they'll be putting that out on the web here. But be praying about that and asking the Lord what he'd have you do. Uh, what he'd, even be praying about what he'd have us do as they're, as they're sending church. And let's, uh, let's get behind that and pray about that. Be praying about revival and be inviting and asking and looking for the Lord uh, to do something this week. Well, Josh. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, thank you for loving us first and for proving that on the cross by sending your son to die for our sins, to take our place, even though we deserved it, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness as we need it, not just every day, but every, sometimes every moment, Lord, uh, whether it's just thought life or whether it is just taking uh, things out on the ones we love. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, thank you for the opportunities that you have given to us. We thank you that we can freely worship you in your house. Help us to not take it for granted. And as Pastor said, life will hit us whenever we walk out those doors. Help us to be prepared. Help us to be ready. Help us to have a plan um, for whenever life hits us, for whenever temptation um, hits us, Lord. Help us to be ready. Help us to respond to what we know and not react to what we feel. We love you. Lord, help us to be ready. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed.